cool. Um, I know we have some new faces here. Um, I'll uh, I'll introduce uh, myself, and then Haley can do the same. Uh, I'm Charlie. Uh, my wife Haley. We've been at Otter Creek for four years or so. Yeah, we yeah, started and then like the pandemic happens. Yes. So, you know, <laughs> fun times. Uh, yeah, we have two little boys. Uh, Everett is eight. Uh, Cavett is five. Uh, they're about as different as you can imagine. Super fun. Um, I'm a, uh, <laughs> I, I work in marketing uh, for, a, uh, for a digital product. I teach seventh grade social studies at Brentwood Middle. Yes. Um, so I live in the Middle Ages all day, every day. And then tell, why are you doing that? Stop doing that. Like, <laughs> that's, that's my life. Um, so we, um, Becky's not here. She is on her way to West End right now. She's kind of doing the video and announcements over there. So she said that she can't be here today. Um, but you're stuck with us. So yay. Um, we're glad to be here. We actually have five chapters that we're going to cover today in Exodus. So Charlie's going to kind of give like an overview of like where we left off on the last episode of the Exodus. Yes. Um, so we'll give like a quick little recap and then we'll jump into chapter five. Yeah, last week we looked at the calling of Moses and the setup to what's going to happen in um, uh, some of the more well-known things as far as the plagues go and the interactions with Pharaoh and all of that. Uh, so in Exodus 3 and 4, we, uh, we have Moses who is living as a foreigner in a different land uh, with his father-in-law, tending the sheep and all of that. Uh, we have the story of the burning bush, uh, which, you know, at first... Uh, seems pretty straightforward, but Moses almost actually walked away and then came back and God talked to him and all that. The question that I asked was like, do I really want to hear the voice of God? Because if you remember in Exodus 1 and 2, Moses is a pretty decisive guy. He's a man of action. Uh, he doesn't wait around. He, he's um, uh, in many ways a deliverer. He takes uh, matters of justice into his own hands. And now, uh, hearing the voice of God, it's got him a little scared where he's going, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know about all this uh, like rescue your people thing. I have no idea what to think about this bush that kind of burned up, but it's not actually burning up. And this voice told me to take off my sandals, and that's weird uh, at the same time. Um, I also think there's this really interaction, a uh, really interesting interaction where God has to remind Moses of who he is. There's, I remember, a 400-year gap uh, from Joseph to Moses. So that's a long time. Uh, I mean, for us, that would be 1623. The events of 1623, if those had any gauge on your life, that's what... We're, we're talking about as far as the memory of, uh, of who God is. And so he has to remind him of several things. Number one, uh, that he's the God of his father. He says, I'm the God of your father. Uh, and then he says, you're the, I'm also the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's this straight line from the big three names all the way to you. Uh, I'm the God who hears. I'm also the God who is going to uh, do something. Uh, and all of those things that you have heard as far as a promised land and these uh, multitude of nations, this great nation that I'm going to make you into, that is now happening. You already are a great nation, but now I'm going to send you to the land that I promised uh, to all of these guys. God remembers his old promise and makes a new one. Uh, also at this point, he says, just so you know that I am who I say I am, you're coming back to this same mountain one day to worship mm -hmm. me. So there's a future promise that's already given even to Moses. Uh, though we don't really talk about the personal promise necessarily uh, as the people go into the wilderness, there's this, uh, there's this moment that I'm sure when they get back to the mountain and Moses looks up and goes, oh yeah, he said he was going to do this, and here we are now. Um, Exodus, by the way, is also the first clash between God and a superpower. We're going to see that on display here in the way that Pharaoh asks questions uh, about who God is. God, by the way, um, this is, when I, when I, always, when I read the... Um, uh, the words that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. 
there's different interpretations of what that means. Uh, the one that I found the most interesting is that God doesn't really change his brain chemistry necessarily. He doesn't, um, uh, he doesn't actually like harden Pharaoh's heart, but rather he is uh, playing uh, Pharaoh in a way. Uh, meaning God, who is unknown in the land of Egypt, especially to this Pharaoh, shows up through his messenger Moses, and Moses says, you're going to let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, uh, do you know who we are? Do you know who Egypt is? Do you know what we're all about? Like, there's a, there's a sense that God knows that Pharaoh doesn't want to let them go, so he's just going to put the pressure on him uh, and cause Pharaoh just to act like Pharaoh, like a Pharaoh would. Um, and so when you see like God, Pharaoh's heart is hardened or Pharaoh's resolve is hardened, uh, it's more like Pharaoh's just acting like Pharaoh um, and like he's supposed to. He's supposed to be protecting his people, his kingdom, his power. Um, that's the, the law of the land of the day. So, um, so now uh, we, we get all the way to chapter 5. Uh, we have Aaron who comes into the picture. Uh, God actually prepares the way uh, for Moses to return. And, uh, and he says, hey, Aaron, your brother is coming back. You remember that brother that uh, like kind of went away and is now um, uh, you know, off in the wilderness doing whoever, whoever knows what? He's coming back, and he's going to need your help. And that leads us into chapter 5, yeah. where we're going to talk about some of the plagues. Okay, so I actually want us to look at um, verse 1 here. So it says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh. So you have to remember, at the end of chapter 4, they went to the Israelite leaders, and they tell them all of the promises that God has made. And they, the Israelite leaders, believe Moses and Aaron, and they fall down, and they worship God, and they're, they're like, we're finally, we're going to be saved, right? So now the next step is that they have to go where? They have to go to Pharaoh, right? And so they go to Pharaoh, and they say, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Now, I think as children, we were just told, like, they just showed up, and they are like, let my people go, like, out of slavery, right? And it's like... No, we're going to ease into this. Like, let us go for three days to hold a festival in the wilderness. Now, he might, Pharaoh might have understood kind of this concept because we do know that there are a lot of religions that had this belief system of making pilgrimage, right? Making a journey. We already know that in the Islamic faith, we're like, you know, just from what we've studied, um, if you've studied other religions, like in the Islamic faith, like making a pilgrimage to Mecca is, is a requirement. It is a, if you are capable once in a lifetime to make this pilgrimage to Mecca to worship and to pray. And so the Egyptians know about the idea of traveling to holy sites, not because of their connection with Islam, but because that's not around yet, but because of the fact that in other religions, there are these holy sites, there are temples, there are places that people make pilgrimage to. And so he would understand this concept of them having to leave to go and make this pilgrimage to hold a festival, right? To celebrate their God. But of course, <laughs> Moses is going to respond in what way in verse 2? Pharaoh. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Pharaoh is going to respond in what way in verse 2? Like, if you were to put this in your own words, what would you say? Pharaoh doesn't know who that is. Right, he's like, who that? Like, yeah. I was like, well, I don't care. Who's like, Yahweh? You know, yeah, yeah, who's this yeah. God that you're talking about, right? And, they're, and so then they take it one step further, and they're like, Moses says, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. Or he may, what? Plagues or just strike us dead, right? It's like Moses is kind of like beginning to up the ante here. Like you, you really need to understand. And you also have to, in this concept with the, the idea of like the Israelite God, the Israelites don't view God as someone who like eats and drinks 
and but the Egyptians do, right? The Egyptians have each god, and they do believe that the god has these human-like qualities. The, the most important god in the Egyptian religion is Pharaoh. And so in some ways, like as we watch this pro- progress, like Pharaoh is like, I am the most important god. So who is this god that you're talking about that you're going to ask me to go and make you know, pilgrimage and have a festival before when I am the most powerful god? You should be serving me. They should be serving me, not this, this God that you're asking them to go and have this journey for. So then we're going to progress further on, right? So um, the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous and you are stopping them from working. Then Pharaoh is going to give the order to the slave drivers and overseers, who are Israelites, I thought that was really interesting, in charge of the people, you are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. You moved it. No, I don't know I am. I'm sorry. I'm trying to scroll it. It's being difficult. Oh, it's being difficult. Okay. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Um, make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to the lies. So what's Pharaoh's response? People are lazy, get more work. Yeah, like, well, if you, just, if you think you have time to go have this festival for three days, you obviously don't have enough work to do. So here, we're going to make even more work. So instead of us providing you with things to, to meet your quota, now you've got to go get it yourself and still meet your quota every day. I told Charlie, I was like, I kind of feel like this is what's happening in the education system right now, where teachers are like, we're drowning. <laughs> like, there's so much that, there's, that you're, being, you're asking us to do, and we've got kids with all kinds of trauma, and we need help, and the education system is like, how about some professional development? Or some data collection. And we're like, no, that's, that's more work. That's not, no, we need help. Like, we, we, need, we need intervention here. We need you to see our struggles and to hear our cries and to help us. And so in some ways, I was like, I totally relate to this moment. Like, where you look at it and you're like, I don't think that's what they wanted. So how do you think this is going to go over with the Israelites? Yeah, thanks, Moses, for making it worse. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> That's literally what happens. Um, of course, like, you know, they don't meet their quota. Pharaoh whips the overseers, the Israelite overseers. overseers. Why do you think he punishes the overseers first? Uh-huh. Well, and think about it, right? Trouble down economics. Right? He's like, he's like, do you think the overseers, who are Israelites, right? Like, and they, they have a, an audience before Pharaoh on a regular basis. Like, they go to Pharaoh after they're beaten. And they're like, why are you doing this to us? Like, please, like, we can't meet our quota because they're not giving us straw. Like, this, we can't do our jobs. And basically, it's like, we don't want to be punished again. So we're going to make sure that the Israelites are doing their job. So they're going to be even harder on the Israelites. And basically... It turns out that we watch the Israelites kind of turn their backs on Moses. Mm-hmm. So that happens. Um, yep, right, uh, right there in verse yeah. twenty-one. So the over the Israelite overseer realized they were in trouble when they were told you were not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. 
when they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look down on you and judge you. <laughs> you have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hands to kill us. Uh, one quick thing to remember too, Moses shows up and he tells the leaders of Israel, like, God's going to do this. And they're all like, awesome. This sounds great. And then one chapter later, what are they saying? They're like, uh, <laughs> what about that promise mm -hmm. that you, uh, that you mentioned? Cause this ain't it. Um, have you ever had a, um, is there, is there a promise of God, uh, that's ever come true in your life? And when you look back on it, you're like, oh, I'm so glad God did that. But then you look at the days, the weeks, the months maybe even the years leading up to it. And you think, oh my goodness, look at what I had to go through in order to receive the promise of God or in order to experience uh, God's blessing and all of that. I think that's the same. It's, it's very telling in, in a couple of ways. Number one, uh, that um, uh, you know, God is still preparing them even in the midst of all of this. And we're going to see that when, uh, when the plagues start to uh, appear for the uh, for the people but also uh, it's very foreshadowing of what the people are going to do as they figure out what it means to follow God mm -hmm. and uh, have an identity as a nation because there are multiple times throughout the story of Exodus where they're like yes thank you God and then they're like wait a second now we're around the wilderness we had it better in Egypt yes thank you God for meeting us on the mountain oh but then Moses disappeared and so we'd rather have an idol mm -hmm. instead and all those yes I'll just, I'm going to say, too, that Pharaoh was, could have used just total brute strength and, you know, beat, beating a lot of people. Mm -hmm. but he was using some psychology here. Mm -hmm. Because, number one, he didn't want to lose his workforce. Yeah. And so one way to do that was not only to create the example of beating the overseers, they were probably selected, maybe because they were favored, somewhat sympathetic, maybe, to to the Egyptians, for whatever reason, they were the overseers. But he was playing that psychological game, you know, the example, but I'm gonna also create some internal division, mm -hmm. because that, which, which is exactly what he did. So I, th I think that's one of those things that, I think in the, in the modern day church world is that we don't, we don't get that there are forces that intentionally try to create division mm -hmm. and disruption and confusion and discord in the body of Christ so that we're not able to carry out the mission of God. Yeah. So I think there's a you know kind of a parallel in that yeah. story as well. Well, I think it shows up too when, you t when it talks about how um, they scattered the Israelites because now they're having to wander and find the straw. Um, if you think about how revolutions work and how um, the, anytime people are overthrowing anything, they have to work together, right? Um, I think like we're, um, we're in the middle of studying the Reformation um, in, in our uh, history classes right now. And one of the questions that we get to is um, when we, we talk about um, the Catholic Church, when they're talking about like, okay, they've got all these, you know, here we have all these reformers and they're, they're bringing up issues within the Catholic Church and, and they meet together for 18 years and trying to decide like, do we need to change things? What do we need to do? And at first they invite the, the Protestant reformers to come. And the Protestant reformers don't come for a lot of reasons, right? Like they might be afraid that they would be killed or arrested or whatever it is. And so we, one of the questions that we talk about with our students is what would have happened if they had come? Like if the reformers had come, 
and sat down with the Catholic officials and leaders, would church look the way it does today? with all of the different denominations and all of the different beliefs and all of the different, well, I don't, you know, there's one or two things that are different between this one and this one. And, you know, and so it's like if they could have sat down and come to some kind of conclusion, kind of to your point about division, right, that we can use internal strife to cause divisions instead of focusing on how do we accomplish what God has called us to do. And so, again, I think also when we look at how they're scattered, it causes isolation, right? And when you're isolated, you feel like you're the only one going through it. Um, and you don't see that everyone else is having this struggle as well. And so the negativity sets in really quickly. Um, and I think that's kind of why we watch the Israelites turn their back on Moses and Aaron. And like Moses is going to go and he's going to talk to God basically like, dude, what in the world? Like things are worse now. Like, I went. I did what you asked me to do. I didn't really want to do it, but I did it, right? Because you, you, you made me, and I wanted to serve you in this moment. And he's like, but now things are worse, and the Israelites won't listen to me anymore. And he, then he's like, you've got to go back to Pharaoh. He's like, the Israelites won't listen to me. Why do you think Pharaoh's going to listen? And so there's this whole conversation between them, and I'm actually, I'll read that scripture to you. Um, it says, so Moses went back to the Lord and protested. Why have you mistreated your own people like this, Lord? Why did you send me? Since I gave Pharaoh your message, he has been even more brutal to your people. You have not even begun to rescue them. What, what, um, what adjectives would you use to like, describe how Moses is approaching this with God? What do you hear when you, when you hear that, his conversation with God? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you look further into chapter 7, God orchestrated the whole thing. Mm-hmm. He intended for favor to have a hard heart. Yeah. Yeah. To make him seem more powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I wrote down several words. Um, doubt. Moses, once again, is kind of doubting, like, why did you even pick me? Like, if this was what was going to happen, like, why me? Why are you doing this? I said, anger? Like, he's really, he's angry that this is happening. Like, he still sees the Israelites as his people, but he also knows that there's kind of this, like, he's conflicted because, as we talked about last week, he's kind of this cultural nomad. Like, he was an Egyptian, but he was also a Hebrew, but he was also, a, a, you know, a Midianite because he married into that culture. And so it's like he, he feels conflicted, but he's doing what God has called him to do, Right? Um, I think the question that sometimes we ask ourselves is like, when have we been called to do some do something? Like God has called us, and we know that He has called us, but then we run into conflict or pushback or whatever it is. And what is our response in that moment? Like I think that's one of the questions that we constantly have to ask ourselves is like, how do we respond in the moments when God doesn't answer in, immediately, right? Because we know that God is going to answer. God is still working. But I know in my own life, there have been moments where I have felt like I have like fully heard God. And then there was a roadblock or there was something that happened. And there have been moments where either I have pushed through, but there have also been moments when I was like, okay, fine. Like, obviously, we've shut the door and this isn't the way it's supposed to be anymore. And I walked away from it. And those are the moments that I look back on and I'm like, what if I had just 
continued to push and continued to follow that calling instead of giving up, what would be different? What would have happened if Moses had given up in this moment? We'd be telling a very different story. And once again, as we talked about last week, God is going to remind Moses of something. He's going to remind Moses of all of the things that he is going to promise. So let's look at chapter 6. So then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. There's a whole bunch of I statements like I am, I have, I have. And it's this whole passage of all of the things. Um, One of the questions as I was doing my study um, preparing for our lesson was it as it says um, as he did at the burning bush god articulates his plan for deliverance as a sovereign act he will accomplish and then it says list every statement in exodus 6 2 through 8 that begins with the word i so i'm going to give everybody just a minute to kind of look and see all of the different i statements that god makes What are the ones that stand out to you? Yeah. It's not so much that, but you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about, like how I tie this to what I'm at today, mm-hmm. is so it's interesting. We read the story of Jonah to our son last night, mm-hmm. and you know, in that, it's like not going to Nineveh. Okay, fine, do it your way, right? You know, and then there's that reminder of, okay, finally, I give up God, I'm going to go to Nineveh, mm-hmm. right? And then, like, for me, think about those roadblocks of what you just shared, right? Like, finally, there's this acceptance of, okay, God, I, I hear you, this is where I want, this is where you want me to be, right? But then it's, I quickly can revert back to, no, but on my terms and conditions. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go there, but I'm going to take the route that I want, to, mm-hmm. right? And when I think about these roadblocks, is it so much me not listening to God, or is it just like this, like these reminders, hey, I'm in charge, you know? And I've, I've kind of thought a, a lot more about that lately of like when kind of start to feel like it's going astray and then it's God saying no front just remember a little too much self-reliance here I'm in control mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. What, whatever that is you know work people places things money like no front just remember where's your dependence if your dependence over here on something you're trying to control let me just give you a little reminder that I'm in control yeah right and I think that's that's kind of how I'm drawn to this mm-hmm. yeah what else I think it's often easy for us looking back on stories, and not just this story, but a lot of stories that we read from ancient texts, and to think of progression as linear. Mm-hmm. There's a start point and end point, and events that happen in between, but it's always moving in a certain direction. And the only reason we can see that is because we can see the whole story, mm-hmm. which in our own lives we can. Whereas if you actually look at these I statements, kind of from a literary concept, they repeat on us. It's actually a cyclical story. Mm-hmm. So in every if you sort of imagine this in your mind, it's actually a spiral. And every time certain things happen, the spiral gets bigger and bigger and bigger until we finally arrive at liberation. Mm-hmm. And if we change our own thinking about the experiences that we're sitting in, 
not as something where over the course of time, good should be increasing and evil should be decreasing mm -hmm. in a sort of linear context. And that's why we get up, like upset or discouraged when those things don't happen kind of on, on that spectrum as we think that they should. But as a concept of, like Josh said this morning, like life, death, and revival, life, death, and mm -hmm. revival, life, death, and revival, then I think we could restructure what our own expectations are about our experiences mm -hmm. and be able to work for okay, how do I get this sort of iteration of this just a little bit wider, a little bit wider, a little bit wider, yeah. working with God to finally arrive at a place where I can look back and see as we were spiraling, we were getting, you know, the story was unfolding, but not in like a point A, point B, mm -hmm. all along the way kind of. But so a lot of the ancient texts are kind of written in that spiral mm -hmm. format, like if you're familiar with the... The Odyssey or the Iliad, yeah. they're written like that as well. It's, it was a concept that the ancients were a lot more familiar with than mm -hmm. we are in our white Western world. Yep. I know we've talked a lot about Eastern ways of thinking. Um, I also have, as I've read these stories, because it talks about like when we get to the plagues, right? There's a lot of repeating of, you know, go to Pharaoh in the morning. And then you go over a few plagues and it's like, go to Pharaoh in the morning. And then it goes over a few plagues and then it's like, go to Pharaoh in the morning. And then you have like, and then Moses and Aaron return back to. So it's repeating. There's a lot of repetition as the plagues go on. Um, and I think a lot of that goes back to kind of this oral tradition of how these stories would have been told. Like if you've ever read children's books, they're very repetitive. And that's how you get children to remember the stories, right? Like children's songs, they're very repetitive. They're short and they're very repetitive. It's the same, they're trying to communicate a message. And so I think what you're saying is the same thing. Like there's this this cyclical thing because it's a way for people to remember the story. Yeah. I was, uh, verses six through eight, you ask about you know which of those terms mm -hmm. stand out. If you um, <clears throat> if you go to the the end of the story or end of the uh, Exodus when they're uh, up on the mountain about to go into the promised land and Moses is making that speech to them to remind them, those verses six through eight are pretty much the text of his speech mm -hmm. in Deuteronomy chapter six. Mm -hmm. Repeated in seven and eight mm -hmm. to a certain degree, and so um, I think all of this. I think we think, okay, there's a, you know, it's it, 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 there's a there's a story here, and here's the beginning, and here's the end. But these are chapters, mm -hmm. and I think God, the, the circumstances that they have to go through before they're finally set free, are really to prepare them for the future. And mm -hmm. it's not a Right now, here's the result, and here's the <coughs> result. This is preparation for that difficulty they're going to face mm -hmm. in the wilderness. Yeah. And, um, you know, all of these things. So it, it's all part of, you know, God's not manipulating Pharaoh, and he's not manipulating the people. Mm -hmm. It's part of his plan and his wisdom to get these people ready for mm -hmm. yeah. life in the wilderness. And then to appreciate and enjoy the promised land mm -hmm. when they reach it. Yep. Yeah. So, and Absolutely. some people are not able to make it. They give up. Yeah. They're not, in, you know, and there's a lot of whining and complaining along the way. But I think this is conditioning for them. And that's why Moses comes back and says, well, let me remind you. Mm -hmm. He didn't say it that Well, he does say that. Don't forget. Yeah. Yeah, let me remind you. Remember, yeah. those are words that are in those chapters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So after we kind of have this whole conversation, so, you know, the next in, in verse 10 and 11, it's like, go back to Pharaoh, tell him to let the Israelites go. Um, and then we have like a genealogy that's 
thrown in the middle of chapter six. Um, and Charlie and I had a conversation yesterday of like, why do you think that this is in here? Like, what's the importance of this genealogy? And kind of what we came to the conclusion was that it was a reminder that Moses and Aaron were real because we can actually trace their lineage, right? Um, and the fact that they were the ones out of all of these tribes, that these two were the ones who went to Pharaoh to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, that it is their story. Now, they are, they're a part of the Levite tribe, which we know are the tribe of priests. Like, so there's lots of references to kind of this idea of like Moses as a shepherd, right, leading the people. Um, but this genealogy is in there, again, to make these connections to the fact that they were chosen, that they were these chosen men of God to lead the people out of Israel. Okay. So now we're getting into the plagues, right? So <laughs> chapters 7, 8, and 9 are, are where we're going, and we're having internet issues. Always. Um, yep. Also, one of the, so in, um, in this devotional study, it was like, you know, number the plagues and then um, draw a picture that represents each plague. I quickly realized I cannot draw a frog. <laughs> like I was like that's a bunny rabbit I don't know what that is but I just at that point I was like okay we know we're just, we, I can't draw frogs this is, this is that moment um, so we, we get started in chapter 7 and I'm so sorry that the internet is being weird today so if you have your bible and, and you want to follow along I got it. Um, so then the Lord said to Moses pay close attention to this I will make you seem like God to Pharaoh your brother Aaron will be your prophet he will speak for you. Tell Aaron everything I say to you and have him announce it to Pharaoh. He will demand that the people of Israel be allowed to leave Egypt. But I will cause Pharaoh to be stubborn so I can multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Even then, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you. So I will crush Egypt with a series of disasters, after which I will lead the forces of Israel out with great acts of judgment. When I show the Egyptians my power and force them to let Israel go, they will realize I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 at the time they made their demands to Pharaoh. All right. Not a young man by any means. Right. I'm like, listen, yeah. this like reti we're retired at that point. Like, you know, like. Um, but also, um, Moses's, Moses and Aaron's father lived to be like 137 years old. So like 80 was like prime <laughs> at this point in time. Um, so you have to kind of keep in mind that like, you know, we had people living to eight, 900 years old prior to this. And now they're living to be 130, 140. So 80 was like, you know, they're living their best life at 80 apparently. Yep. Okay. Um, did you have something you wanted to add in? Uh, no, now we're just going to enter into the competition. Like, who is more powerful? Is it Egypt mm -hmm. or is it God? Um, and uh, it's it's quite a uh, quite a turn of events. Yeah. Um, God really shows that He's going to intervene in three major areas uh, for uh, the nation of uh, Egypt and the nation of Israel. Mm -hmm. He's going to intervene with the political, social, and eventually the military mm -hmm. might of uh, Egypt. <clears throat> the first is the political, it's, it's basically Moses and Aaron versus uh, Pharaoh and all of his advisors. Who is, uh, who is the wisest, who knows more, who can do more, 
how does that play out, especially in how they treat their people? Uh, we see that especially on display when the, when the boils come in. Uh, and then the social one, uh, God's plagues, uh, the plagues are going to disrupt the social life for Egypt as well. Um, so it's not just that uh, these things happen and uh, they're there for a week and then they go away. This is, this is disruptive stuff. This is, not, uh, this is not simply like, oh, we saw those gnats and we shoot them away and then they went away. Um, this, is, this is actively interfering uh, with the way of life of the Egyptians, showing who is the most powerful um, in the world. Yeah. So we start out, so obviously we know last week we talked about how, you know, Moses was like, well, how am I going to prove that, you know, you've sent me and God tells him the whole thing about the staff and then the leprosy and, um, you know, do all these signs and wonders. And so we're actually going to watch this happen, right? So um, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh and it will become a snake. I hope Moses didn't run away this time because he did the first time. All right, so Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh. He throws his staff down, and it becomes a snake. And then the magicians, which, okay, like, I'm thinking magicians, really, they're like the scientists of the day, okay? So these are, like, their advisors to Pharaoh. They're his scientists. Um, it's like, at this point in time, it would be, like, the equivalent of, like, having Galileo, like, hang out in your court and, like, prove things, right? So, and yes, there is kind of that, you know, magic aspect of it that it seems like they're performing that. But they are also able to make their staffs into snakes. But then Aaron's snake eats their snakes. So, you know, it's like God is really saying, like, that's cool. I'm glad you can do that. But my snake is still better than yours. So we're watching this kind of play out. And that's kind of the consistent thing that we see here. Even when the magicians are able to recreate the first couple of plagues, um, they, you know, they're able to recreate this through their magic. And, um, and Pharaoh's like, see, like anybody can, anybody can do that. Um, one of the questions that I actually... Um, I really liked um, in here was that it was talking about um, when, like, when we're looking at uh, asking for physical signs, right? I know personally, like, I have definitely asked God for a physical sign before. I'm like, if you will just make this happen, then I'll know. Then I'll know, right? Um, and that's kind of the thing is that why is why is that a, an interesting thing to ask God for? Because these are physical signs, right? But what are the magicians able to do? Same yeah, thing. the same thing. And so I think one of the things that like this the devotional was trying to point out was kind of the idea of like sometimes physical signs can be misleading. Like sometimes the world can present physical signs and we can think that they're God's signs, but that sometimes that that's not always accurate. Um, and sometimes it is a way to kind of show, like, you know, we, it takes a certain extent to where they're not able to recreate this anymore. And it's really when we get to the gnats, which I think shows us how annoying gnats are. Um, so they get to the gnats, and that's the moment when the magicians are like, this is the, the finger of God. Like, it's the gnats that they're like, that's it, I'm done. <laughs> like, um, but when we look at, where are we at? The plague of frogs? Okay. Uh, well, um, water first. Okay, so um, the Egyptian magicians did the same thing. So they turned it into they t the fish in uh, the Nile died because it turned to blood. Now there's all kinds of like sciencey explanations for this, right? That there was algae, and the algae is what turned the the river to blood, right? And the, because of the algae, then the fish died, and well, then the fish died, and then that made all the bugs appear, and then the frogs also came out of the Nile because like so. There's all these explanations of like why all of these things scientifically could have happened. Um, if you, you can do all kinds of reading that explain these things, right? So 
Um, we get to the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say, let my people go so they can worship me in the wilderness. Until now, you have refused to listen to him. Now the Lord says, you are going to find out that I am the Lord. Look, I will hit the water of the Nile with this staff, and the river will turn to blood. The fish in it will die, and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink any water from the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, he said that phrase shows up about nine different times. <coughs> throughout the stories of, the, of the, the plagues before we get to the final, tenth one, okay? Tell Aaron to point his staff toward the waters of Egypt, all its rivers, canals, marshes, and reservoirs. Everywhere in Egypt, the water will turn to blood, even the water stored in wooden bowls and stone pots in the people's homes. So Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded them. But after all of this, Pharaoh's heart remained hard and stubborn. One of the things that um, they kind of bring up about the Nile is that the Egyptians actually looked down on other places that relied on rain for their water supply. The Nile to them was everything. They thought that they were like awesome because they didn't need to rely on rain. They had the Nile. And this is a direct hit to them in terms of their water supply, which we know is very, very important. So then we get to the frogs. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh once again and tell him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so they can worship me. If you refuse, then listen carefully to this. I will send vast hordes of frogs across the entire land from one border to the other. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron to point his shepherd's staff toward all the rivers, canals, and marshes of Egypt, and there will be frogs in every corner of the land. So then all the frogs show up. Mom. <laughs> <laughs> My mom hates frogs, like really hates frogs. So like for her, this would be the moment that she'd be like, y'all just leave. Like you guys, she's Pharaoh. She's, she's telling him to get lost at this point. Weirdly enough though, Pharaoh actually summons Aaron and Moses and he's like, dude, can you get rid of these frogs? Because this is too much, okay? So he's like, so plead with the, plead with the Lord. That's what he says. Plead with the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people. I will let the people go so they can offer sacrifices to the Lord. And Moses says, you set the time. I just love that response for some reason. Tell me when you want, to, uh, want me to pray for you and your officials and your people. I will pray that you and your houses will be rid of the frogs. Then only the frogs in the Nile River will remain alive. And then Pharaoh says, do it tomorrow. Not like, now. not now. No. Tomorrow is fine. I know you're kind of busy. Like, we can deal with the frogs for a few more hours. Okay? <laughs> She's dying. <laughs> like, well, I so just, that's, a, that's an interesting point, too, because in the first three, in the first three plagues, we don't hear much about how right. uh, Israel would or wouldn't deal with um, all of these. Uh, and by the time we get to the, um, uh, to the flies, was that the, the fourth one? Uh, it actually does say, like, Israel was actually exempt from mm -hmm. here on out. Like, they didn't experience what uh, Egypt was going through. And so, um, Howard, you talked about God's provision uh, a minute ago. Uh, when you see that, uh, you know, the locusts eat up all the crops, that's just happening in Egypt. That's not happening in Goshen, mm -hmm. where, uh, where the Israelites are. So imagine the stockpile of things that uh, Israel gets to take advantage of and prepare for the journey. Their livestock is fine. Their water supply is fine. Uh, their crops are fine. Uh, they are virtually untouched by these plagues, as far as we know from, uh, from number four on. Mm -hmm. So um, there's, this, um, there's this interesting uh, note of preparation that God is saying, 
I've got you uh, even even in the midst of all of this. Like you thought it was hard and now look what I'm doing even along mm -hmm. the way. I'm still providing for you. Yep. I think you've seen the progression of Moses though from that uncertainty because when Pharaoh says, would you go and pray for me tomorrow? Then Moses says back to him, we'll do it and the mm -hmm. place of the frogs will be removed. I mean, he's saying this before he's ever offered that prayer yep. mm -hmm. and or consulted with God about that. So he says, we'll pray and it will be done. Mm -hmm. And so I think that shows that the depth of his faith has gotten and trust yeah. has gotten stronger. Mm -hmm. not, not just in himself, but in that God's going to do exactly what he says he's going to do. Yeah. Yep. And so that's before the prayer. I think you see that progression too, because as you read through the plagues, you'll notice that like the first few, it's Aaron who's doing the the signs, like he's the one that's actually using the staff to, you know. And then as it progresses, and like it's Aaron that's talking to Pharaoh, you know, Moses is telling him what to say. But but as it progresses, and you read through the scripture, it's it becomes Moses. Moses is talking to Pharaoh. Moses is actually doing the thing where he's causing the, you know, the plague to happen. He's praying to God. He's intervening. But I also think it brings up a really great point about the fact that, like, Moses is willing to pray for his enemy. Like, that, that in this moment, like, here's the oppressor, right? Like, and Moses is like, I'm going to pray for the person who is the oppressor and is oppressing my people so that he will see God's power. That because I am praying, because I am willing to pray for his, you know, the softening of his heart, that, that I will I will relent and I will I will go to God on his behalf and his people, that hopefully he will see that God is God. Mm -hmm. And there's also an admission on Pharaoh's part too here. Like for us to be like three signs, three two plagues, three signs in, uh, and Pharaoh to say, "Hey, can you stop this?" It's it's almost an admission of like uh, of Moses' mm -hmm. position, right? Like he recognizes that Moses is doing something that he has no control over now, and that he has very little power over. And so, uh, if Pharaoh's unable to do it, he's got to call on the guy who set all these things into motion, mm -hmm. uh, more or less. We also know that um, through the progression of the plagues that Pharaoh is the great flip-flopper in the Bible. You know, he's like, if you do this for me, then yeah, I'll let them go. And of course, like, there's all these negotiations that eventually happen where he's like, why don't you just go and have your festival, like, in town? And Moses is like, no, that's not going to work. And he's like, okay, fine. How, how about just the men go? And Moses is like, no, everyone has to go. Okay, fine, everyone can go, but you can't take your animals with you. This is all, like, in the hope that, like, they're not going to run away, right? Like, he's, he's like, I got to have something here to make it to where you come back. And Moses is insisting. Mm -hmm. Like, and of course, every time he's like, I'll let you go. But then he's like, nope. He hardens his heart out through all nine, through all nine of the, of, the, of the plagues. Every single time, it either says something about he became stubborn or he actually says he hardened his heart. Um, and so we watch him do this back and forth. Like, please, God. So, like, Kind of the question is, you know, a lot of times we want to relate to the heroes of the Bible, but how often in our own lives have we been like Pharaoh, where we have said, like, I'll do this, God, if you let, if you make this happen, and then once it happened, we were like, I didn't really mean that, you know, like, I, I can I kind of what what he was talking about earlier was like, I want to do it in my own way, like I I might do it, but like, can can we can we compromise here? Like, can we find a way around this? Or I forget totally that I even made the promise, right? That I would do something. 
Um, I know we've only got a couple more minutes, um, and we're going to sort of fly through the rest of them. Uh, a quick observation that I want to make known um, is, you know, we have all these all these plagues that kind of hit the people of Egypt and not necessarily Pharaoh. And so when Pharaoh hears his advisors saying, hey, this is not good for our people, he's like, okay, well, I'll go ask Moses and we'll get it taken care of. And I'll sort of play this game where, you know, like Haley said, uh, I'll be like, okay, yeah, you can go. And then he gets this temporary relief from the plague and he's like, nah, I'm just kidding. That's that's not really what's going to happen. It's not until it actually hits Pharaoh's own house mm-hmm. that it really gets his attention. Um, there, there are everything, and I think in so many ways it shows the disconnect sometimes between the people of power and the people they're supposed to be serving mm-hmm. and taking care of. He is so disconnected from the daily, uh, the daily struggle that the people of Egypt are experiencing in the midst of these plagues mm-hmm. uh, that all he really cares about is uh, maintaining his own power is like, oh, if I can get Moses to do this for my people, then I will look better to the people because I stopped it, mm-hmm. right? Like, I went to war with this God and I just said, hey, just relent on this part or just relent on this part. See, I made it happen. Yeah. I think there's a lot of selfish ambition um, that's, uh, that's wrapped up in these plagues for Pharaoh to just go, nah, I didn't really mean that. I just wanted to, to show you like, I'm still calling the shots, and I'm still in charge. Yeah, I think you also have to keep in mind um, the kind of hierarchy we see in the Egyptian um, deity system, right? Um, Each plague is connected to a particular Egyptian god. So each plague is kind of calling into question the authority and the power of that particular Egyptian god. And when we get to darkness, that's kind of, so it's Ra. Ra is the sun god. He is seen as like the giver of life, right? And there's three days of darkness. And then Pharaoh is the most powerful god in Egyptian history and in the Egyptian hierarchy of things. And then it's his son that he loses, his firstborn son, is who's affected by plague 10, right? So again, kind of playing into that mindset, it's not really until it affects his authority, his power as a, as a perceived deity that we see him finally relent. Because I think in that moment, he does start to question, is this God of the Hebrews the, the true God? Yeah. Because I should not be impacted the way that I'm being affected here. So um, I, I, one of the things that says, what does the author want us to understand? And I think some of it is that um, we have to understand that there is a feebleness to Pharaoh's power and his authority and the magician's power and authority, but that God is continuing to show that it is his power that will be the thing that saves them, that he is true to his word and that he will rescue the people through all of this. Mm -hmm. The other display I think that's important too is as these plagues are descending on Egypt and the people of Israel are watching this happen, their oppressors and the the superpower of the world uh, is now under attack. I imagine their resolve gets a little bit stronger going, oh, that's not happening to us, but it is happening to them. Mm-hmm. Huh? Maybe our God is really going to make good on his promises. Yeah. Maybe this is going to come true. Imagine the trust that that builds with these people over time uh, and the, um, you know, their ultimate call to follow him after the Passover too and how they must have gone, look, he, he did it for a long time and now he's going to do it for us. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Um, I would say, um, were you going to add something? Oh, sorry. Okay. Um, I would say, you know, we're doing chapters, is it just 10 and 11 next week? I 
think so. Yeah. 10, 11, go ahead and read 12, just in yeah. case. Yeah, so it's I think Passover. it's 10, 11, and 12 for next week. Um, we won't be here next week, but Becky will be leading class. Um, so thanks for coming today. Um, if you haven't read through chapters 5 through 10, do that, especially 7 through 10. They, it's, just look for the repetitiveness of things and the way that God shows up consistently through all of that. So thanks for being here today. Blessings on y'all as you go into this week.